All right, Celebrating America's Workers was rooted in the late 19th century when labor activists pushed for a federal holiday to recognize the many contributions workers have made to America's strength, prosperity, and well-being. And when I think of America's Workers, I think of my pal Mike Rowe and his foundation, Mike Rowe Works. He's the host of the rebooted Discovery Channel series, Dirty Jobs, host of the story behind the story, the podcast, The Way I Heard It, Voice of the Deadliest Catch, How America Works on Fox Business. He's given away a million dollars in scholarships. You're making Ryan Seacrest look like a slacker here, Mike. <laughs> Get busy. You, know, you said it, not me. <laughs> it's Mike Rowe, everybody. How you been? Well, I'd be a fool to complain. It's been a, you know, it's been a strange year. It's been a strange three years. Um, so I'm, I'm navigating as best I can in borders that are best described as uncharted. Yeah, right. And there's no question about that. Did you at least have a nice summer, get a little time to yourself, enjoy some nature, something? You know, my business model hasn't changed much. <laughs> I, uh, you know, years ago, I kind of took my retirement in early installments and, <laughs> you know, kind of screwed around a lot in my 20s and 30s. And oh, then, I see. Very, right? And then Dirty Jobs came along and then the foundation and then a lot of other good things. So really, you know, for me, since we're talking about work, you know, my, my, my whole working model radically changed and i haven't really taken a vacation in about 20 years but i have a great time you know i find opportunities to do cool things in the cracks and happily i'm busy and i love what i do and so yeah you know there's a day here there's a day there you know uh, it's busy though you know it's busy we're pushing the rock up the hill you know, I was just saying off air that I just sold um, my shares of my business that I've been involved in in 22 years, and it's been about a week and a half, and I'm antsy already. Like, I'm not used to not getting up early and pushing it for 8 to 10 hours a day, and uh, I think if uh, 2.0 is going to come a lot sooner than I was anticipating. You know, I mean, it's so I, it's such an interesting thing. When you told me that, it just reminded me that the way we think about work in this country um, really has evolved. And, and so many people today look at it as the, the proximate cause of their unhappiness, right? Mm-hmm. Like the thing, if only we can retire, if only yeah. we could work four days instead of five, if only we could work six hours instead of eight. Yeah. And um, I get it, but all of that just presupposes that the thing you're doing for a living is not really a thing you want to do. And I've talked to so many people like you who get to that point in life where it's like, okay, I'm going to pull the pin. I'm going to step away. And the first thing they do is look around and go, oh, wait, no, <laughs> no, that's where the meaning was. That's, that's right. That, that wasn't the enemy. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was a part of my identity. Yeah. Yeah. And radio has always been a part-time for me, but you know, who knows? Anyway, I want to talk to you about some facts leading into our conversation, your foundation. Um, you know, scholarships around programs that support the trades and with the cost of college and university programs surging 169% was just reading since 1980, according to a report uh, from Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce. And then you look on the other hand, vocational schools, trade programs cost a fraction of those prices and they pay really good money. And that's what your foundation does. It focuses on the millions of jobs that are available that don't necessarily require a four-year degree. And there really needs to be a greater focus on recruiting young talent, don't you think? I think we just have to get our 
our thumb off of the scale. You know, there's so many terrific opportunities in the workforce. If you want to look at it in terms of blue collar and white collar, the opportunities exist on both sides. Personally, I think we've entered into a, a time where the color of collars is is no longer germane. I think we're looking at robotics and technology on one end, AI on the other end. Everything is being impacted. But the thing that remains right at the heart, like one of the few things that's still completely and totally true, in my view, uh, is the fact that the skilled trades are not going to be outsourced and they're not going to be replaced by robots and they're not going to be replaced by AI. And so, you know, I'm not going to take a victory lap just yet, but I do feel really great having done this for 15 years, watching the headlines catch up with the basic truth of what we espouse, which is that you can still prosper by any definition as a result of learning a skill that's in demand and working your ass off. It's still for sale. It still works. And so, yeah, that's the other boulder we push up the hill. We're just trying to get all of the opportunities on the table, be weighed and measured fairly and equally by parents and guidance counselors and, of course, Gen Z, who is entering the workforce now uh, in unprecedented times. Well, and the goal is here to pursue pursue your dreams, explore what your career might be. A four-year degree is, is can be a great thing based on what you're doing, but a four-year degree is not for everyone, right? Well, there's that. But I would also say, too, Dave, you know, the words matter. And when people talk to me about pursuing their dreams, the first thing I say to them is, look, are you sure about your dream? Are you sure Hmm. about your passion? I mean, it's terrific to have a burning desire to do a thing and then to go out into the world and do it. But one of the big lessons on dirty jobs, and I just saw this again and again in all 50 states in virtually every vocation, I met people who were really passionate about what they were doing and who really loved their trade, but never dreamt of doing it. Mm-hmm. They didn't start out, you know, with this burning passion. They didn't follow their passion, in other words. They, they followed opportunity, and they, in many cases, took a reverse commute. And they got themselves out there in the world, and they became proficient at a thing, and then they got passionate about it. Then they prosper. Then they figured out a way to love it. So we all want the same thing. You know, we want to feel passionate and engaged about doing something meaningful and lucrative. But the order that we chase all those things down, that's up to us. And I I worry sometimes that if we start with the challenge of identifying our passion, then we're going to miss out on all sorts of opportunities because if we're if I've learned one thing for sure, and I'm stingy with advice because I, I don't know who's <laughs> listening and so people need to hear different things at different times. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you can't suck at it. <laughs> and and just, just because you're not <laughs> doesn't mean you might not have a great facility for it. Right, right. So, you know, encouraging people to explore opportunities is a, is a big part of what we try and do at MicroWorks. Okay, so what happens to the with the millions of able-bodied men and women between the ages of 25 and 54 who are not 
only not working, they're not looking. You know, like, so who picks up the slack and how do we get these people back in the workforce? Look, I mean, things get real political real fast, right? I mean, uh, Nick Eberstadt writes about this in a terrific book called Men Without Work. And right now, the most chilling statistic I know of says that 7.2 million able-bodied men, to your point, are not only not working, they're affirmatively not looking for work. They are, on average, spending over 2,000 hours a year on screens. So that's never happened before, at least not in peacetime. And it's easy to look at that stat and kind of feel depressed. Um, and honestly, I don't, I don't know how to answer your question. I don't, I don't know what to do or say to someone who, quite frankly, look, I mean, it's easy to use words like lazy when you when you talk about this. I, and, I, and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but the fact is 7.2 million men are able to not work. And I'm not sure how exactly that's happening or what's making it possible. Are they in their parents' basement? Right. Are they living off of the government? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are they self-made? Are they trust fund babies? You know, there, there's probably a lot of different sure. uh, cohorts in there. But you start sprinkling in addiction and you start sprinkling in the unintended consequences of just all kinds of policies, and pretty soon I'm out of my lane. All I can say is that the silver lining to all these bad metrics for somebody who's willing to learn a skill that's in demand and travel to where the work is, is that they are in short supply. And, and you know, maybe that's cold comfort, to the macroeconomic realities of our times, but at MicroWorks, I try and find the individual uh, who still has initiative, who is still willing to show up early, stay late, and apply themselves. That stuff is still for sale, and we've helped over 2,000 people so far. And to your point, we got a million bucks. We're giving it away next month, and people are welcome to apply. The money's there. And we're talking to Mike Rowe, TV's Dirty Jobs, Deadliest Catch, How America Works, and its mission through the Mike Rowe Works Foundation. So these work ethics scholarships, it's been the core of your foundation. You know, tell folks just a little bit about how this foundation began 15 years ago and and what you're trying to do here. Well, it evolved um, very organically out of Dirty Jobs. It was 2008. The country was slipping into a recession the headlines were fixated really only on one economic metric, and that was unemployment. Everybody was really clutching their pearls, understandably, as the unemployment numbers got higher and higher, 6, 7, 8%, 9, 10, 10.5%, 11 in Nevada, it was, it was bad. But on Dirty Jobs, which was at the height of its popularity back then, everywhere we went, we saw help wanted signs. And it really took me aback, Dave, because when you realize there's another narrative going on that no one's talking about, uh, it, it's bizarre. I mean, how could there be 2.3 million open positions right. when you know 25 million people were out of work? And, you know, suddenly that prevailing idea that, oh, you know how you fix unemployment? You create more jobs. Well, that just didn't make sense. Right. So... MicroWorks started as a rumination on the skills gap and an attempt to create better PR for a few million good jobs that nobody seemed to want. 
when I realized that most of those jobs didn't require a four-year degree, I got really interested in the orthodoxy of pushing college for everyone and what the unintended consequences of that might have been, along with the incredibly boneheaded decision of pulling shop class out of high school. Oh, so agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, you can, I think if you walk it back, you can really draw a pretty straight line from that decision to $1.7 trillion in student loans, to 11 million open positions, to 7 million able-bodied men not working, to a widening skills gap, to, to all sorts of things, you know? And, and so as MicroWorks evolved around PR focused on good opportunities, um, we got some traction and I made the rounds. I went to Congress. I partnered with some big companies. And then I thought, well, look, we might as well have a scholarship program. And I decided to call it a work ethic scholarship because, because I, I didn't, I don't think anybody else was doing it. You know, there are scholarships for athletic achievement and artistic ability and certainly for academic uh, ability. I wanted to find a way to reward work ethic and to target the money specifically to kids who opted out of a four-year degree. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just, it's just too damn expensive. And focus instead on those jobs that couldn't be outsourced that were nevertheless critical to the workforce. And that's how it began. Um, about nine years ago, we, we really dug in and we've given away about $8 million so far. And, uh, really, Dave, the great news is, and the reason I so appreciate you having me on every Labor Day is that we're able now to share stories, not me anecdotally telling you about a dozen or two dozen or 200 people that we've assisted, but those people themselves are out in the world now. I've interviewed them. They are apostles for exactly what we're talking about. They're far more persuasive than I am. And we're, we're starting to see a real change in, in the attitude of this generation toward a career in the skilled trades. And sorry for the rant, but that's really what it's all about. Stigma, stereotypes, myths, and misperceptions. Challenge them, debunk them, and uh, present the evidence that demands a verdict which in this case is hard work and the mastery of a skill and still take you to something that looks a lot like prosperity. Hardworking men and women will keep the lights on, water running, air flowing. People will show up early, stay late, bust their hump. They're out there. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the American work ethic. So there are still uh, so many people working from home. Um, some people have thrived in that environment and some haven't proven a high level of productivity. Uh, you know, as the work environment has shifted. But there are many taking advantage of that. And there's blue chip companies, including Goldman Sachs, Meta, Zoom, even Zoom, who's, you know, who started the whole working from home experience that are pushing with various degrees of severity for employees to physically be present at work. And like Goldman told workers, they need to be in the office five days a week. No ifs, no buts. Uh, and, you know, in tech land, even Mark Zuckerberg is telling, you know, your three-day work week policy now becomes a threat of, if you're not showing up, you're going to get fired. Mm-hmm. We're seeing, I think, a really terrific example of how so many seemingly disparate things are connected. And what happens when you start to yank on a thread, right? What happens to the rest of the quilt? I live outside of San Francisco, God help me. 
And that town is in terrible, terrible trouble yep. right now, yep. in part because so many buildings are empty. People don't come to work so the downtown shrivels and starts to collapse on itself. And nobody is quite sure what to do about it or how to make an argument. But I was just thinking the other day, I think the, the stat is like 55% of people who are together, mates, romantically involved, have met at the office. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What's going to happen? Like, there, there, there's so many things, if you really think about a culture Interesting. where most workers uh, aren't coming together to, to do a thing. Teamwork changes. Um, efficiency, effectiveness, all different things get elevated, but other things become subordinate. And, you know, I'm, I'm also really struck by the fact that this is probably the best example I've ever seen of how cookie-cutter advice simply doesn't work. I don't know what to tell you, uh, speaking broadly, about what to say to people. I'm, I'm having the same conversation with my own crew right now. I have eight people at MicroWorks. We can all do our jobs remotely, but should we? You know, yeah. what do we lose? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you give up by not being able to stick your head in a, in a co-worker's office and say, hey, real quick, I want to run something by you. Best ideas. What come ideas? From yeah. Best ideas. Exactly. Come from yeah. And, and, and over a coffee or over a lunch or maybe over a drink after work, all that stuff goes away, you know? So look, I worry about it. But on the other hand, I got a book here on my shelf somewhere. Uh, you would laugh. It's literally called row R O W E. Mm-hmm. It stands for results oriented work environment. Wow. And it was written like 15 years ago. And I love it. I, <laughs> I don't want to go to the, I, I've never worked in an office in my whole life, but I'm really worried now about what will happen in the way of unintended consequences if we let all the air out of that tire, because it's going to radically transform the working landscape. I was talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. Something you brought up earlier is how did you meet your mom or your dad or, or your partner? How'd you meet? Well, I was swiping yeah. to the left and there she was. <laughs> like, where's those stories? I know Th- those stories are always the best on how you met somebody. And, you know, with the fact that people are working at home, with the fact that we have so much technology in our hands, which can which, of course, is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing. There's a, there's at least two generations that are out there that have never shook a hand or had a one on one conversation because they're working off a screen or working off Zoom or not. There's no interaction there. And I think that's going to be detrimental to detrimental to the workforce eventually. The pendulum swings, you know, it always has and it always will. And it's it's only ever in the perfect spot for a moment. And then it overreaches. It's like a foul ball, right? It's either like like a pop fly. It's either going up or it's coming down. Yeah. You know, for a second, for a second, it hovers there. And it's like, oh, that's perfect. But that's how I think a lot of people think about the, the status quo of virtually anything. And three years ago, we got a huge wake-up call. You know, it shook our cage in a giant way. And all of a sudden, we scrambled. We pivoted. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm super proud of what my team did. And I'm, I love the fact that Dirty Jobs went out there and shot during lockdowns. And I love the fact that we did the first Zoom show in prime time when we didn't have any other choice. But now the caution flag is up. And people have had a taste of, 
of what that was like. And, and a lot of them don't want to go back. Don't know what to say about that other than, you know, sometimes things have to go splat before they get better. And uh, those big companies you mentioned are grappling with uh, with a giant issue. And I'm super curious to see how it spins out. No question. Mike Rowe's foundation information can be found at org. I love, Mike, how you give back every day. You put your money where your mouth is. You do great work. And it's always a pleasure to tap your brain and spend some time with you. Hey, man, I got great cards. I'm having a good time playing them, and, and the foundation really has been a godsend, uh, not just to the people we've assisted, but to me personally. So, yeah, million bucks up for grabs, next generation of skilled workers. It's, uh, it's sitting there. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Anytime.